Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I know plenty of people who are being told that they have to come to the office and then spend all day looking for places, little phone booths to take video calls. Do you really? Oh, yes. I would hate that. Can you imagine how cranky I'd be? It would be horrible. uh, I would ruin it for To be your coworker. I know. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Sam Sperlin. Somehow you saying, as always, as always. <laughs> made it sound like you were kind of sad about it. Like, he's here again. Once again, <laughs> like Sam Sperlin is Eddie. here. Sam is here again. <laughs> yes. Hello, everyone. I'm here again. <laughs> Sorry, I'll work on that for next time. Uh, Welcome to At Work with the Ready. This is a podcast about modernizing organizations as the future of work meets the present moment. Each episode, we turn our attention to one common organizational pattern we think is worth digging into. We pull it apart and we put it back together while proposing solutions for what to do instead. This week, my proposal was that we talk about return to office and hybrid work. And before you stop listening, because I know... Nobody really wants to hear about this anymore. I don't really want to talk about it anymore, but I do because the last time I made a podcast about this, it was mostly forecasting and like advice on what I thought companies should do. And it was correct. But what now I can say in the rear view is that I've seen a lot of what companies are doing and I have a whole different lens now that like a lot of the data is in that we didn't have the last time we did this. So we're going to dig in with a maybe slightly different take than we've had before here. But before we do, Sam's going to check us in. That's right. I am. And the question for today, Rodney, is what is the best part about working remotely for you? My dogs. For anyone who's new to the show, there are a lot of new folks out there. Hi. You probably haven't heard 90,000 stories about Rosie and Banjo before, but those are my two pit mix giant floppy maniacs that live in my home. And when I'm having a hard day at work or when I have a short break in between meetings, I let them into my office and we like roll around on the floor and Rosie tries to eat my nose and Banjo tries to sit on my lap, even though he's far too big. And it's just like a immediate oxytocin release in my brain. It is the best. And when I'm traveling or doing client work, I often will like have a break and be like, man, I wish I could just like go hug my dogs for a minute right now. It's the best. What about you? That's delightful. Mine, I like having my stuff where I like it. I like having my area in my office to be to my specifications, my persnickety desires are all met in the way that I have things mostly met in how I have things set up here in my home office. For the listeners who can't see Sam, like I can, when you started to answer, you looked over your shoulder. And because I know that Emily is sitting there, I <laughs> thought that you were going to say, 
<laughs> oh my what? With my wife. Oh yeah, that's the real answer. Rewind, uh, Jack. Edit all that out. The real answer is my lovely, lovely wife uh-huh. is my coworker, and uh-huh. we share an office with no conflicts ever. Never. And it's just amazing. Um, good times. Actually, no, it is actually delightful to mostly be working together in the same space. Although she actually does have an office, she occasionally goes into, which we actually might talk about in this episode a little bit because nice. I think she represents a point of view that is sometimes under shared in these sorts of conversations. Well, now I want to hear what it is, but put a pin in it because we have to do the thing. The thing is describing the pattern. And you're going to do that this week. I am going to do that this week. So y'all remember that the conceit of this show is that patterns occur in organizations over time and repetition and that they usually start for very good reasons and that they usually get upheld for some good reasons, and that mostly the issue with changing them is that we don't look at what the negative consequences are or what the alternatives are. And so the pattern that I'm seeing now that hybrid work has been a real thing for many years that most companies were forced into kicking and screaming is that mostly the continued debate is a proxy battle for what's really going on in the organization. Mostly, I think the people who know the most about this and talk the most about this are super sick of talking about it because arguing about days in the office or distance from the office or policies around tax stuff is all just the visible, easier to understand and grapple with symptom of what is actually going on. And what's actually going on is lack of clarity in the operating system around some really gnarly, complex topics. Like, what does it mean to be productive? What does it mean to be a good contributor here? Do we trust our employees? What does that mean operationally? Do we have a clarified strategy that's helping people make decisions and trade-offs? Do we have an understanding of how to experiment and where our water lines are? Like this lack of clarity in the OS bubbles up. And the thing that we talk about as a proxy for it is butts in seats. And I know there's other stuff we'll talk about like leases and uh, paternalism and a bunch of other stuff that's interesting. But fundamentally, the pattern is let's not talk about the root issue. Let's stay at this surface level where no one can really decide, be right, be wrong. And we'll just stay in this loop. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great pattern for us to dig into. And I want to start actually right off the bat, like making the case for why kind of this return to office might be the right move. And I guess I'll pose it to you as a question. Aren't we as human beings like inherently social creatures who benefit from being around each other in shared space, especially when trying to work on like really complex, difficult, creative things. Yes, but not all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's a real and but situation, as we call it. It's a real and but situation, don't you? It's like, yes, I think that we need to be in the presence of one another's corporeal form sometime. And the fact that that as a vector gets applied as being all the time, the only thing is silly. Yeah. This whole conversation, I think, has really fallen into binary thinking. Right. We're either returning to office or the worst phrase, returning to work, which I'm 
thankfully oh. seeing much fewer organizations call it that because what in the point. hell have we been doing for That's the past X years? So we either are coming all together all the time or like, you know, three or four days a week, or we're completely distributed, never seeing each other. We're basically DAOs of anonymous contributors, like working on a thing together. And as I, I think a very wise uh, woman once said, there's always a third way. There's a third way. You're the yeah. wise woman in this situation. Oh, thanks, Sam. That was I you. That was that. me quoting you, but I'm not actually, I mean, I don't know if that's a direct quote, it's a paraphrase. <laughs> to paraphrase. Um, so yeah, in terms of why this argument persists, I think there is the reality that we like to be together and that good stuff comes from that. I think binary thinking, even as a means to its own end, is part of why it persists because we allow ourselves, like okay. I think we allow ourselves to be trapped in a like, this is... Mm-hmm a yes or no answer that we must land on at some Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the persistence and the stuckness is even the conceit that it is binary, which it is not. Um, Why else does it persist, Sam? Well, I think you you alluded to this, but it's so much easier to like argue over stuff that you can actually see. Yeah, we love the metaphor of the operating system, and there's lots of things that are visible across the OS. But by definition, we often talk about the OS being the unseen stuff, and unseen stuff is hard to talk about. It's hard to see, obviously. So let's instead have this proxy conversation, this proxy battle about what we can actually see, which is we know pre-COVID, everybody was in the building and things weren't great, but at least I understood it. And now post-COVID, people are not in the building or some people are and some people aren't. And me as a senior or middle leader is, I'm confused, I'm sad. I have my own things to deal with and I don't know what to do about it. And I guess (gasps) so. I, I, I reach out to what I knew from before. Yeah, I'm having big feelings. And, you know, we've talked about this in other contexts, but the other part of the human condition here is that we are much more likely to return to something dysfunctional but familiar than to create something that's new and better but uncomfortable. And I think your point is, like, exactly that. It's like, we hated it when we were stuck (laughs) in the office five days a week, and all we did was, like, complain about it. But now, when faced with, like, design your own future or go back to this shit thing you used to complain about. We're going to pick the shit thing every time because we're humans. Yeah. And especially when we also have, you know, sunk costs of commercial real estate leases and buildings and and everything, which I think will be very interesting to see how that shakes out as many of these leases come up for renewal and are obviously not going to happen. I've seen very interesting things online around, you know, five-year leases signed in 2020 like we're coming up on them. What do we think is gonna gonna happen? Uh, It's not gonna be a bunch of people coming back. And I think that'll really shake things up as well. So I think we're seeing the last gasp of organizations trying to kind of head off that real estate apocalypse that they are sitting on. Yeah, I think that's right. Let's talk about why this pattern that is persistent of staying in the argument about return to office Let's talk about what the cost of that pattern is. Why is that bad? Well, I would imagine there is a lot of disparity in terms of who has benefited or been harmed by being able to work remotely. Yeah. And I think in, I don't have stats at hand at the moment, but women in particular benefiting from a more flexible work environment and often 
these misogynistic leadership groups kind of overlooking that and grasping for what they have known are most comfortable with, which is, as we said, everybody coming back into the office. Absolutely. I will ask Jack to link to a wonderful article written for Fortune by a friend of mine, Aaron Grau, the title of which is Flexible Work is Feminist. And I totally agree with you. I think a lot of the people who are making the hardiest, throatiest, most aggro claims about return to office are not doing so with a backdrop of data with a backdrop of a diverse right. workforce that has different kinds of needs. I really thought a lot about this over the weekend because I realized that it was reminding me of something that was stirring up some big feelings in me, which mm -hmm. is that there have been a lot of moments and times in my career where something that I was advocating for or that I strongly believed in was dismissed by power holders as being like soft. Mm -hmm. And I think that flexible work often gets painted with that brush by traditional white, male, middle-aged, wealthy power holders who are like, oh, this is a squishy topic for people who want to like watch soap operas or like be in their pajamas all day. And it's like, that is a very easy and very lazy way of dismissing a growing body of data and the real material needs of a diverse workforce to be productive. Yeah. And the thing that it started to remind me of is things like ways of working that I've definitely had clients in the past be like, I mean, this checking around thing seems like kind of like fucking like kumbaya. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, man, like the data is in that like yeah. shared yeah. voice creates real performance. You asked me to help your team perform. I'm doing this. And now because it doesn't feel like the way you would do it or what's most intuitive for you, it's like soft or it's yeah. not real or it's not how you get at those results. And yeah. And this feels to me like, energetically, like more of yeah. that. Yeah, totally. I track that as well. I mean, I think the other aspect of this is that by having this proxy battle, we get to avoid having the real conversations yeah. about what do we do instead. And these things don't have easy answers. And they're not the type of thing you like sit down for a day and hash it all out. Oh, we've designed our perfect operating system. And now we just have right. to go implement it. Like, no, we have to work steadily at this persistently over a long period of time. And if we're fighting about RTO, then we're not doing the other thing. And we're totally losing sight of the stuff that will make us more adaptive, make us more effective in the market, will give us the characteristics that people will want to come work with us, our partners want to work with us. All of those things, you're not doing any of that when you're arguing about RTO. You're just arguing about where butts are going to be. Yeah, and We shouldn't be right. talking about butts as much. But to your point, a lot of time and energy can be invested into this kind of distraction, which feels like a solvable problem. And this is actually more related to the ready than related to clients. But my experience in effectively being like the chief org designer for the ready for the last bunch of years is it is very appealing when there is something that creates a lot of tension that's very visible to think that if you just put that one to bed, somehow everything else will be better. <laughs> everything else is just going to like the tumblers are all going to fall into place. And like, yeah. I think to a very small degree, sometimes that's 
there are versions of that. Like certainly yeah. in terms of all of the work that we've done around comp in the last year, and sometime we'll do an episode on that and have some of the people on who actually did that work because it wasn't me and Sam. But mm-hmm. like certainly there was something like in our OS that was radiating issues out around yeah. really what we paid for and how we assessed for that and how we thought about it. And doing something about that certainly made a bunch of those other symptoms less obvious, but it didn't fix everything. It created a whole bunch of other needs. Well, totally, totally. And I think those, those tensions that are being radiated across these other organizations where RTO is this major thing, it is being interpreted as being about return to office, but to the whole point of this being a proxy battle, it's actually pointing at other tensions, which we can more directly do things with and not have to fight this huge battle around the RTO stuff. Like we yeah. can directly address some of these tensions, I think. I agree. The one other thing I want to say in terms of the cost of this pattern mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. it does butt heads quite clearly with other environmental and existential challenges. So demanding that people return to living somewhere that is within a certain number of miles of pre-existing offices or requiring this like physical plant mentality, as we see more and more unpredictability in the climate, as it becomes harder to be sure that your plane is going to take off and land and your destination isn't going to be underwater and the power is going to work in that city. Like these are no longer things that might happen. These are things that are happening here and abroad every single day. Having monolithic, fixed, static office space that requires people in attendance to do their jobs is not a good idea in an environment that is so violently uncooperative (laughs) with that way of working. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost kind of quaint. It's like a real like 1950s view of like, we all come together and we sit in this building together and we do our reports and here we go and we'll all go home and the work of the office is all done for the day. Like what? It is a relic of a different time. And that different time is becoming even more different more rapidly as we go into the future. Sad, sad to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And this is like, obviously, you know, none of us are loving the environmental crisis that's upon us. And our job is to help companies not perish as a result of their inability to evolve. And if you're not thinking about the fact that more flexibility, more diversity of location, more ability for people to work in different times, under different conditions, without this one very specific requirement makes you more likely to weather the literal storm, (laughs) you're fucking up. Okay. So it's a heavy pattern. It's a costly pattern. It's like like many patterns all like mixed in together. (sighs) Aren't they all? They're all balls of spaghetti. Here we go. (laughs) True balls of spaghetti. True balls of spaghetti. What should we do instead? Give us some ideas, Sam. Me. Okay. Sam. First thing. Sam. Sam. (laughs) Yeah. Pump me up. Uh, (laughs) First thought, one of the proxy battles that RTO is fighting is around what is the actual purpose of the various teams in our organization. Mm. I think you can get by with less clarity when 
everybody on the team is physically in the same location because we can kind of just like hash it out in the moment. We can swirl in a seemingly productive way. And I say seemingly in the sense that like somebody looks into the conference room where we're all sitting and like working together and like Uh we're doing the thing, even if we don't have a lot of clarity on what we are actually here to do. When you are working in a distributed way, that lack of clarity gets amplified and it causes real problems within the team. If the teammates don't really understand what are we here to do as a team? What is my role in that? What can I be doing? What should I be doing when I'm not actively collaborating with somebody? That is going to harm the fitness of the team. And I think when you start looking at it from a team level and and teams connecting with each other, If I'm not sitting down the hall from this other team that I have to collaborate with, where I used to be able to just go jam on something with them, I need to better understand what team is it that does this thing that I need done. And that getting really clear and crisp about that is absolutely required to work well in a distributed way. And so many of these organizations that are pushing hard for a return to office, I don't think ever did the work to really understand or get the clarity that you need at that team level to be able to work effectively distributed. They copied and pasted their in-person OS into a distributed way of working and then got mad when it didn't work as well as it should have or could have. Yeah. I want to add two things to your idea. One is I was going to make a similar point, but just at the individual level. Mm, I think the mm -hmm. team thing is right on. And something that I've seen a lot in self-managing kind of teams and orgs is that people do really want to know what contribution is enough. You know, we all, we all, and a lot of people out there who are listening right now have the kind of jobs where like, you could work constantly forever and you'll never be done. There will always be more work to do. And most of us, and like most people who are theory why, believe about others that like we do want to feel like we're contributing sufficiently and we do want our teammates to see us as being valuable. And we spend a lot of time like echolocating to be like, am I doing enough? Is it good enough? Am I good enough? Et cetera, et cetera. And I think that getting to that clearly by role or by person or by output or whatever is really hard to do. And it's way easier to just say, look, she's in the office (laughs) nine to six. She's doing something. I see her all the time. And you can flip it to yourself. I'm in the office from nine to six. So I'm doing like, what else do you want from me? What else do you want from me? (laughs) So I think to your point about clarity at the team purpose, clarity in terms of what we mean by contribution, not in terms of hours, but in terms of outcomes is really, really important. And the other thing that you said that resonated was when you were like, they copy pasted their OS from in-person right before I got in this meeting, I was talking to Brian Elliott, friend of the show, friend of mine, amazing human, very smart on hybrid work. And he made the point of you can't just like hand people Zoom and Slack and be like, now you're now you're digital. You know, like it's right. the same thing where it's like, what is the new way of working around this? It's not just the technology. It's how are we asking them to use it and to what end? And yeah. those are the conversations that we don't have. So we just argue about how many Slack channels or how many desks instead yeah. of being like, what are we trying to do with this? 
Right. And specifically what that usually looks like is we have not really understood what it looks like to work well asynchronously. That's right. Uh, because, I mean, that's the big opportunity with a distributed way of working is that I don't necessarily have to be in real time talking to you to make work go forward. And yes, Thank this God. is also true when you're working in an office, but it just becomes much more obvious when you're working in a distributed way. So as a team, have we actually sat down and said to ourselves, how do we want to work asynchronously? What does that mean to us? And generally what it means to work asynchronously is you actually need more structure. You yeah, need to be clearer right. about how you jump into something and contribute and how you ask for feedback. And it can't just be this kind of ad hoc free for all that you can get away with when you're in person. But if teams have not set aside the time or the effort to do some of that meta work, some of that chartering, some of that agreement making, then it's not a surprise to me that in some ways RTO feels like it'll just fix all of that. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. Rodney, what else should we be doing instead of whatever it is that we're doing right now? I don't think we're spending enough time understanding the needs of the users. And by users, I mean employees in this case. So again, okay. if the technology is location and the attendant policies, the end user of that technology is the employees probably. Mm -hmm. And I think having an understanding that is not a projection from leadership or anyone else of what people actually want and need is really important. And, you know, Jack has been sharing a lot of research lately, and we'll link to some of it. Mark Ma is doing, you know, doing the Lord's work out there in terms of gathering data around this. But, like, it is true that different individuals and just different strata of the population have different needs, and that often those with less experience in the workforce want to be co-located because they want to like see how stuff is meant to yeah. happen. And they want like, maybe they want a more collegial vibe. You know, maybe they are newer to the location where their office is. And for a lot of younger people, it's like a social outlet to have a place to go. And that's where a lot of like workplace friendships and romantic relationships are formed, et cetera. So like, I'm saying that to say that there are different needs, probably demographically and in terms of experience in your organization, rather than one size fits all, or rather than CEO preference, or rather than even like saying, you know, I read about what Basecamp is doing and we're going to do their thing. Figure out first what people actually want and start to get some sense of that. And then from there, as we always say, like, first of all, have more than one way of working. There's not going to be a one size fits all answer for your workforce if you have any scale at all. And understand that you're going to have to make some trade-offs. So like you're not going to have all of the kinds of space for all of the kinds of meeting to occur synchronously that you want to have. That's okay. But understand what you're trading off. Like are you trading off retaining parents in the workforce even over having maybe some of your earlier career folks in the office every week? Okay, mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. Like make whatever trade-offs you want to make as an organization, but make it using data from the organization you're governing, not just yeah. from the world or from your gut. Yeah, I love that. And I think the thing where, more, where my brain went is with those trade-offs, being upfront about them at the like hiring moment. I think a lot yeah. of this, of what we're seeing right now is people who were hired during COVID who were told that we are now a remote company because yeah. the company will say anything at 
you know, that, that time to get someone they want to come work with them. And now for whatever reasons, they are deciding that return to office is what's going to happen. And a lot of people feel like they are being taken for a ride. Yeah. And I think obviously that's a pretty messed up way to approach this challenge. But in the future, if there is going to be a trade-off around actually, yeah, we are going to all come into the office once a month or something like sure being more upfront about that right from the beginning and not having to go through all of this pain of people having to uproot their lives to like make these changes. Yeah. Which I think leads to another idea you had that I want to dig more into, which is like, okay, let's say that what we land on is once a month in person for argument's sake. Yeah. What should we be doing in person? Like, how would you think about that? If it's not just determined by the day of the month, but it's determined on the job to be done. How would you design for that? Well, what I wouldn't do is make everybody come in person and then have us sit in Zoom uh, calls all day, which I know plenty of people who are being told that they have to come to the office and then spend all day looking for places, little phone booths to take video calls. Do you really? Oh, yes. Um, That's like the worst of all possible worlds. It's like commute to do the thing in a less comfortable, less. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Gross. Exactly. I hate that. So, can you imagine so don't, how cranky I'd be? Oh my god! Uh, it would be it would be horrible. Uh, I would ruin it for to be your coworker. Else. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to your point, starting with the need, like, what are the jobs to be done here, and what that's going to look like is going to be very different depending on the group of people who are getting together to do what. So, it's almost not even a question to be like, well, what is this going to look like when we come in? Well, are you a group of designers? Are you a group of copywriters? Are you a bunch of managers? That matters uh, a lot. You know, I'm always a huge advocate that everybody has some facilitation and meeting design skills in their toolbox. Like, I think it is a thing that everybody in organizations should have some basic understanding of that because being able to throw together a light design of how we are going to yeah. spend time together based on what we need to get done, whether we're ideating or making a decision or brainstorming or whatever is really important. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of show up in a room and look at each other, which is not the worst thing in the world, but there's probably better use of our time. Agreed. I'm going to give some examples of recent in-person things that I think are really good to do in person. Yeah, let's do it. So for me, at least this is how my brain works. When I'm trying to make a thing from scratch. I often like to be in person. This is where like for me with a couple of collaborators being able to really have flip charts on the walls that we can easily move around and to be able to do stuff and then take a break and go talk about unrelated things at lunch and laugh and then come back to it. Like things where I want the spaciousness and also the tactile experience. And like, you know, we love async tools. We use Mural and Miro every day of our lives. We're in a mural board right now making this podcast, using it. And I don't think that it would be better in person. But Mm -hmm. if I'm trying to like make a content strategy or frame out an article or think of an offering or design a framework, I do much better with like pen in a hand, face-to-face in a room with a co-collaborator bouncing stuff back and forth. So that's like Mm -hmm. one very Mm -hmm. like tactical example where it's like versions two through five, I don't need that so much. Zero to one, it's really helpful to me. I just think it's a lot faster. I just think I can do a zero to one thing on most significant projects in a day with a small group that would take an hour a week for six months. 
Yeah. If it was done yeah. virtually. Yeah. I like that. Can I throw another one into the mix? Yeah, man. So I think <laughs> I think another one <laughs> that is uh that can be valuable is um almost the opposite of that. So you're talking oh, about good. like making a thing together, tactile, whatever. I'm talking about like a more strategic, very open-ended conversation where maybe there are gonna be Ooh. big feelings. Ooh. Um that sort of stuff I think benefits from having the highest bandwidth communication available, which is being able to see body movements. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Body, body language? Body language. <laughs> body movements is what I said. <laughs> body movements. <laughs> yeah, you know, body movements. Um, I've been reading this sci-fi book that involves like incredibly intelligent spiders, and they mostly talk by like stamping their feet and stuff. And that's what I had in my mind when I said oh, body yeah. movements. You can Sorry. start just stamping your feet to communicate Children with Children of time. People know it. Um, anyway, body language. I think you can get some of it in Zoom, but it's not the same of like really being able to see like when someone is checking out or when someone is really reacting strongly to something somebody is saying. And I think it is really valuable for teams to potentially um, get into a rhythm of having those types of conversations in more of an in-person space. I'm thinking kind of like exec strategy meetings, like that sort of thing. And even more tactically with stuff that might be kind of charged, like say you're doing something hard, like cutting money out of a budget. And that always like sort of hits people in their feelers because you're taking things away that are probably important to them. I find in virtual conversations, most people feel like, well, this is the four hours that we have allocated. We're here in this Zoom. It's harder to like call for a break. Or for someone to just step out and step back in the way that when you're in person, like you can sort of get the vibe that it's like, oh, this is feeling quite heavy in here. Let's do something else for a while or like let's do nothing for a while or whatever. I think just practically when you're doing stuff that's more fraught in person is better, both because you have all of that information. And then also it's a lot easier to do something with that information when you're in a room together than when you're on Zoom. Totally. What do you think about like purely like non-work stuff, like the relationship stuff that we can do in person? I do think that that's super important and super valuable. I think people underestimate how much of that can be done virtually. And I Mm -hmm. think you can get quite a long way virtually if you design to gather with the intention of strengthening relationships, not just like being work robots. But like, do I think the moments when Zoe and I like go for walks midday around the block and get coffee because she lives two blocks from my house are unique in terms of the quality of our relationship? I do. Yeah. What do you think? I I think the same. And I was thinking about making the case of if organizations even only periodically brought people together to do 90% non-work stuff, it would make the rest of the time that they spend in distributed ways of working so much better. I know I feel that every time we come together for a retreat at the ready. Um, I know you guys have talked about this in episodes about how we do retreats and how we really over-indexed on being productive at first and have since swung very much in in the other direction. And I do think that if you are working in a primarily hybrid or distributed way of working, the stronger those relationships are, the better it all tends to go. Yeah. But that's not what people are talking about with RTO. So like, what are we even doing here? (laughs) Right. Because they're not talking about like come into the office and have lunch together. No, they're talking about coming into the office and sit in your cubicle and and swipe in so we know you were here. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's gross. I mean, again, though, to my earlier point about people being like, this is soft stuff, when actually people are like, we want psychological safety and we want a high trust environment and we want empathy. And then it's like, oh, well, it would be cool if you actually invited people to the office just to get to know each other. And they're like, that's for losers. That's for hippies. And it's like, well, that is actually, from a research perspective, how you get all the things that I just named. But who am I to say? Who am I to judge? Ronnie, let's do one more idea before we get into hot takes. You've got a thing written here that I'm excited to hear you talk a little bit about. Design a fractal algorithm for one quarter. What you mean? So this was a bit of an insight I had, actually related to the point you just made about retreats, which is the Ready has a new algorithm for the whole organization. And one of the big insights that drove that redesign was that we are too big for retreats to do all the things. And too distributed, not geographically, but in terms of the work we do, for there to be a lot of like essential stuff that is shared to be done in a retreat context. And also that our lack of other containers was putting too much pressure on this very interstitial moment twice a year that we get together. And so the idea of the operating rhythm for, in our case, an organization, but for companies that are bigger than us, which is a lot of you listening, this could be for your function or for your team, is like figure out what the kinds of conversations are that you want to be having and where there should just be celebration or there should just be connection or there should just be fun and where you want to really dig into strategy or where you want to define contribution or where you want to gather user needs, all the things we've talked about in this episode and all the other things you need to do. And just try doing something at your org level and your team level and frankly, your individual level for one quarter that is meant to get at that. And like, you know, we've talked a lot about algorithms. You can go listen to other episodes to get ideas for the kinds of meetings that generally live in a really good operating rhythm. But I think that, again, the office is a blunt instrument that does not solve the problem of how we convene around the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And even if the operating rhythm that you design for a quarter sucks, just try that rather than being like, we'll get everybody here and hope for the best. Try creating something for three months that's like our team retros monthly, our leadership team strategies quarterly, our working team action meetings weekly. And at the end of that quarter, be like, was this better or worse than when we sat in cubicles and breathed the same air? Chances are it'll be better. I mean, we'll see. Let us know. I like our new opera them. It's pretty great. It's so good. I, I love it a lot. Um, all right, Sam. Here comes the stinger. Hot take hot zone. Take zone. <laughs> uh, the hot take that I have is that I'm actually very excited for the future of in-person work. Because mm. I do think that fully distributed all the time everywhere for every organization is unlikely to be the future that we are stepping into. And as we just spent 40 minutes talking about, neither is fully returned to office. So if we're going to create a third way here, what is possible with that? That is actually really cool. What does it look like for organizations to be really thoughtful about how they bring people together in various headquarters or regional offices to do very well-designed, smart things. Like that is such an opportunity that was not available to many organizations pre-COVID that is now very much on the table. And there is so much low-hanging fruit to pick that I'm excited to see how that evolves going forward. 
Love it. My hot take is whether it's about this topic or another topic, if someone tries to make you feel like you're crazy, but you know that you have data on your side, if someone tries to gaslight you into being like, this is squishy, this is made up, this is nonsense, look at what their agenda is that they're upholding. And don't let him just get away with that on the face of it. I I have too often been shamed into putting down something that I knew was principled because somebody called me soft and it gets in the way. That's my hot take. I don't know if that counts as a hot take, but that but it's you know what? It's my it's show good. and I'll do what I want. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think that's the title of this episode. <laughs> Well, yeah, I love I love that. I guess we're not like commenting on each other's hot takes. It's like a closing round. There's no commenting on each other. No crosstalk, Sam. Gonna close. No crosstalk. No crosstalk on this podcast. <laughs> never. <laughs> Ooh, never. All right. Well, should we wrap it up here? Yeah. Let's wrap Let's it. Let's wrap it up. If you like what you're hearing, we would love a review. Several of you have left them. We greatly appreciate it. Or forward our show to somebody who needs it. We're always looking for new topics for the show. So if you have an organizational pattern that you're having trouble changing, shoot us a note at podcast at theready.com. This show is engineered by Taylor Marvin and produced by the wonderful Jack Van Amberg. At Work With The Ready was created by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Thanks for listening. Go get it. <laughs>